this week on Double-Edged Sword, Cutting to the Heart of a Deceptive Culture, Father Joseph Mary Wolf, chaplain to EWTN, recounts stories from Mother Angelica's life during this year in which we celebrated her 100th birthday. What can we learn from a cloistered nun? Well, let's find out. Father Joseph Mary is being interviewed by Divine Mercy Radio's on-air host, Donetta Robin. And Mother said, as you can tell, we need an engineer. And so if you're an engineer, you want to come help us, come help us. And I had some stirrings going on where I'm thinking about a vocation prior to that. And I thought, well, maybe I'll go work for her for a year and I can figure out if God's calling me to religious life or priesthood. So I wrote and uh, they flew me down and uh, ended up hiring me. So I did that for two years and then mother began our community in 87. So that's how I ended up in Alabama. Wow, well, we're thankful for it. <laughs> Thank you. So um, what did you do for her in the beginning? Well, engineering, of course, but mm -hmm. so you made yeah. made it go to where she didn't go off the air. <laughs> <laughs> well, I helped. I had never worked in the television field, so thankfully uh, the other engineers were patient with me and teaching me some of the ropes. And I was primarily responsible for the transmitters. So we had a main transmitter and a backup, and um, that was my, my baby, if you will. Mm -hmm. And um, at that time, as I said, we were just on the air four hours a day. Satellites were hard to come by. And so we shared one with Reuters News Service. They had it all during the day. And then we had it for four hours at night. So we'd have to call the satellite company, Hughes at that time, and put us up on the air. And they'd say, okay, tweak your satellite dish. And then, okay, you're good to go. <laughs> and so we'd be up and... That was uh, one of my responsibilities. But we were just 25, maybe, in the crew at that time. And most of us were in our 20s. I was 26. And um, we just uh, were following Mother. We just really believed God was working through her, and we're happy to be part of that. So I did that for two years. And, you know, one day I was setting up the cameras for the live show, and Mother always prayed with the crew before the live show. She'd come into the control room, and she'd pray with everybody. And she passed by me as I was setting up the cameras, and she said, you're going to be a brother in my new community. You just don't know it yet. <laughs> and before I responded, she kept going. And uh, the sisters were praying I'd be part of this new community because... Mother initially had the sisters involved, they had to be, but she knew that that wasn't their vocation. They were called to the contemplative life and prayer, where this men's community was going to be the spiritual support with hands-on there at the network. Hmm. You know, over this past week, there's been, EWTN has aired um, special shows on Mother Angelica, and you hear that a lot from people that she says, you're going to do this, you're going to do that. It's almost <laughs> as if she was a, a prophetess in her, like a, from the Bible, Deborah or somebody. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, she had uh, different mystical experiences, I mean, when they were going to start radio, um, I was ready for theology, and Mother thought, 
that uh, Rome was really the place to build our transmitting towers because that's where you could get all the languages of the world. You have students from every continent studying in Rome. And um, so they set up a studio just outside of Rome, and that's where I lived with uh, other friars, and I was going to study theology. And uh, she could never get permission to build those transmitting towers. She recorded a lot of programs in like 20 different languages. And uh, so they finally decided, well, it's not going to happen here. So let's look for, for land around Birmingham. And about 40 miles south of Birmingham on this mountain, they were looking at this land, and Mother said, this is where it's going to be. And somebody said, well, Mother, you don't normally build shortwave radio on top of a mountain. And she said, nope, it's going to be here. I saw St. Michael over there. So it was the chapel was named after uh, St. Michael. And providentially, they didn't realize it at the time, but the county that that property was located in is St. Clair County. So oh, wow. They, they took that as another confirmation. Oh, yeah. And actually, when they went on the air, because that facility, it's the largest privately owned shortwave facility in the world. Only military ones are larger. It can transmit all over the world, and they discovered actually it ended up being a pretty ideal place to reach most, most of the world. So that was where shortwave happened, and then it was later that mother said, well, we're going to put our radio programs on satellite. So if you want to purchase a radio station, maybe in Hayes, Kansas, you know, yep. <laughs> or wherever, uh, we will provide the programming free. And then you can add your own local programming, but that's the big obstacle really is how you're going to do all that programming that's that's right it's enough just to get the station built <laughs> right exactly <laughs> yeah father joseph you work so closely with mother angelica surely you have some stories to share with us oh yes there are so many stories and recently uh, the man who hired me he was the head of engineering at the time he actually grew up around the network his name is um, Ascalisi, and he served, uh, you know, the Mass and things for the sisters when he was a boy and just grew up around the sisters and loved them. And uh, so Mother wanted him to help her with the, the network. And he told me a story that I'd never heard before when I went to visit him recently. And he said that when... Um, Mother said to him, you know, we we need to get into satellite television because that's the way you can reach more people. And Matt said, well, I don't know anything about that. And she said, well, find out. You, know, so, <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to know all the answers. You just find out. So he called around and they said, you can't build a satellite uplink in Birmingham because that's the hub for Bell Telephone and you will interfere with their their signal. Mm. So he tells mother that, and she says, well, tell them to come out here and test, and we'll pay for it. So they come out there, and where they wanted to build the satellite uplink, the dish was near the studio. And he goes up there, and he says, nope, you're going to interfere with 
the telephone signal. And Mother points down the hill. If you've ever been here, EWTN's built on top of a, a mountain, really. It's just mm-hmm. a, a steep slope. And she said, what about down there? So he goes down there and he says, this is the one place you could build an uplink. And the reason is because it's actually surrounded by mountains, and so it shields um, the dish and so on. And so that's where they built the satellite dish. And he told me, too, that he was a photographer in the early days, and um, he was taking photographs on film camera, of course, in that in that time. Mm-hmm. And he goes to the one-hour developer, and he, he sees his picture, and he says, i got to show this to Mother now. So he goes back, and he says, Mother, I have to show you this picture. It gave me chills when I saw it. And it was in the middle of the roll of film was a satellite dish with a flame coming out of the center of it. Mm. And so one of the sisters actually, when they were praying, had a word that this was God's network and it would benefit many souls around the world. And so they took that as a confirmation to continue forward. And uh, thanks be to God. You know, it's been on the air for going on 42 years here this August. Wow. Wow. That's fantastic. Um, mm-hmm. I just I just wish I could have met her, but but we can we can know her from your stories. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. So the question was, when did EWTN first go on the air? And the answer is Father Joseph. August 15th, 1981. The Feast of the Assumption of Mary, yep. And do you know what else happened that day? No. Which is interesting, because I researched this, I was going to be talking. That's when Pope John Paul II made his first public appearance after the assassination attempt. Oh, wow. And there's really a lot of interesting connections with Pope St. John Paul II and EWTN, how Mother brought him a little satellite dish at the beginning, and he blessed the uh, enterprise, and she met with him at other times, too. Hmm. Do you have some of those kind of written down that you could share? Sure. Go for it. (laughs) Go ahead. Okay. So Mother Angelica, uh, you know, initially, of course, we were just broadcasting in the United States, and... So then we began to grow, and Mother saw it, that it wasn't just going to be international, which means more than one nation, but global. And so she asked the satellite company, well, how many satellites would it take? And they said five or six, I think it was. So she said, well, we can't afford all of those. You know, satellite rental is expensive. I mean, it's close to 100000 a month probably uh, today, at least it used to be. And she said, we can't afford all those right now, but we could start with two more. But then quickly, Providence increased, and we were able to get all of the satellites. So she goes to to Rome to show Pope John Paul how the network has expanded. And so she's got this uh, these these maps showing the footprint where the EWTN signal is going to cover on different areas, continents of the world. So she says, well, we're going to be broadcasting over Europe. 
And the Pope said, and then? So then she flips the page, and we'll be available in Africa. And then? <laughs> so she flips the page, and then we'll be available in Asia. So he kept going, and then, until she ran out of continents, you know. <laughs> and um, But this is the beautiful story that he then um, walks off to go to his next uh, appointment or whatever, but he turns around, and he walks back to Mother Angelica. And he had said when he first saw her, Mother Angelica, mm-hmm. charismatic woman, weak in body but strong in spirit. Mm-hmm. And he places his hand on her head, and he blesses her. And she said after that, she, you know, she felt this fire that she could conquer the world, you know, because she just received Pope John Paul's blessing. And uh, so that was one beautiful story oh, about yeah. Pope John Paul. Oh, yeah. Oh, we were blessed to have them both in our lifetime. <laughs> yes, you know, the Lord, I said, gave us a wonderful father, you know, for 27 years, Pope John Paul II, and two wonderful mothers, one who taught us the spiritual works of mercy, Mother Angelica, and one who taught us the corporal works of mercy, Mother Teresa. Mm -hmm. So just wonderful exemplars, saints really, who um, taught us how to be faithful in following the Lord in our own particular work. Mm. You know, Mother Teresa was said one time, it was a reporter asked her, Mother Teresa, said, Mother, I could never do what you do. And she she responded, and I could never do what you do. So let's both do something beautiful for God. Oh. And I thought that was a beautiful response that just because we don't do, you know, exactly what Mother Teresa, Mother Angelica, Pope John Paul did, doesn't mean we can't do something beautiful for God and fulfill the mission he's given us. Oh, yeah, that's, that's yeah, that's great advice. I remember Mother Angelica one time, I think on her show, she said, the difference between me and Mother Teresa is, I get on the plane and I get a package of peanuts. Mother Teresa will take them and give them to the poor or the hungry to eat. Mm. I'll eat them, she said. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we and just... they met one time on an airplane, actually. Oh, really? And uh, Yeah, there's a beautiful picture of of Mother Angelica and two of her sisters, and then Mother Teresa, who was a tiny woman. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they took a picture after that flight. But they were both on the same flight together. Oh, so. wow. <laughs> How neat. So um, any other stories about Mother? You know what I say, um, and often when I preach to the sisters, I will say this, that they are the heart and EWTN is the voice. So there's a reason I believe that God founded this network in the midst of a cloistered monastery dedicated to prayer and adoration of the Blessed Sacrament. Like Mother Angelica said, when all is said and done, people will not talk about what was done, but how it was done through the power of prayer. So that really, that is still the heart of what we do here. That demonstrance, adoration, 
we have it 365 days a year here on the EWTN campus. Mother and the sisters have moved about an hour north of here at the Shrine of the Blessed Sacrament, Mm -hmm. and they pray for the network. And you know, the church has two patrons for her missionary activity. One, the great uh, missionary, St. Francis Xavier, who traveled the world to spread the gospel, and the other, St. Therese, the contemplative, who brought about through her prayers a conversion of that, uh, that, that murderer that she became aware of when mm-hmm. she was a teenager, and she saw that as really the first fruits of her prayer, and she wanted to continue to pray you know, for souls. So we're blessed in that we have a cloistered community devoted to adoration that are praying for this network, but then we have the means to also proclaim the gospel throughout the whole world on EWTN. And we're over, we're in over 400 million homes now around the mm. world in multiple languages. That is just awesome. So. You know, Mother Angelica, I, I often think of she entered the monastery in 1944 in Cleveland, Ohio. And then she was part of this new foundation in Canton, Ohio, to the south. And then she got permission to build the monastery here in Alabama. So they lived their quiet, contemplative life for 19 years. 1962 is when this monastery was dedicated first in Alabama. And and then it was 1981 that EWTN went on the air. For 19 years, there was contemplative prayer, adoration of the Blessed Sacrament happening. And then, so that was kind of like the foundation. And then God inspires her to begin the network. She's out in the public. She's teaching all the things that she'd come to know in her contemplative life. And then in 2001, Christmas Eve, she has this major stroke that debilitate her, debilitates her, and she's back, if you will, in the cloister. And during that, then her return to the monastery until 2016, when she died, it was very much that contemplative, quiet life. In fact, the last eight years, she was bedridden. But the network grew more than ever in its history, showing the power again of contemplative prayer. And now we believe that she's helping us from above, too. <laughs> you know, we think oh, yeah. that she's continuing because the network continues to grow, and we're in multiple languages, and we're growing internationally and have many offices throughout the world. Mm-hmm. So um, is there anything else you want to share? Sure. Yeah, another Pope John Paul. There's actually a couple more I'd like okay. to share. The first one it. is, um, so it was in 1987, a mother calls us all into the studio, and uh, she says, we're going to go 24 hours a day, and we're going to cover Pope John Paul's visit to the southern United States. If you remember, he, I think he started in Florida, maybe, and then he went across the southern United States, New Orleans and Phoenix and Los Angeles. And we said, well, Mother, you know, we only got like four hours of programming. I think we had jumped up to six hours at that point. She said, well, we'll just repeat it you know, until we get more programming. And so September 1987, 
we were able to get on a satellite where we could be 24 hours a day, and we covered Pope John Paul II's visit to the southern United States. And if any of you remember that, that was the famous meeting in Los Angeles with uh, Tony Melendez. Do you remember the singer Tony yes. Melendez? Yeah. He's, he was born without any arms, and he plays a guitar with his feet, and he's mm -hmm. got a beautiful voice. So he was playing, and it was one of the most moving moments, I think, in my life, really, to see Pope John Paul. He was quite young and vigorous then. And he hops off the stage, and it was quite a, a leap, really. And he goes across, and he grabs Tony by the neck, and he gives him a hug, you know, and he holds his, his face in his hands. And then he goes back up onto the, the stage, and he says, Tony, you give us all courage, and you give us hope. And um, so... The last um, story I wanted to tell about Pope John Paul was when Mother, of course, has always had a, a great love for the Blessed Sacrament. That's their community's life. Uh, they were founded, actually, their community was founded in 1854, December 8th, the very day of the proclamation of the dogma of the Immaculate Conception. And their foundress, her, num her name is Mother Marie St. Clair, that she was inspired to begin a community that would make reparative thanksgiving. So thanksgiving for those who never give thanks for the gift of the Eucharist. Mm. And so that's where they began their life of adoration. They actually have multiple monasteries in Poland and in Austria, in um, trying to think of some of the other countries that they're, they're located, Germany, I think. <clears throat> and then they came to, to Cleveland, I think it was in 1921. Yeah, 1921, they came to Cleveland. So um, anyway, Mother's life has been devoted to the Blessed Sacrament. And there was, you may know, a controversy going on about the Blessed Sacrament. And mother was kind of in the middle of it and she gets a, a package from Pope John Paul II. It's a huge package. It was a big package. And mother says, well, we got a package from Pope John Paul and we're going to open it on the air because you're family. <laughs> and so they pull out a, a small table and the vice presidents are there on the set and I was there. And so they get the box cutter, and they open it up. And what it was was a monstrance that Pope John Paul had given to Mother, really as a sign of encouragement, I believe. And the story behind that monstrance is a beautiful story, because when he was a bishop and cardinal in Poland, he built this church in the form of Noah's Ark, Nova Huta. And there was a lot of opposition because this was to be the perfect proletariat city where there'd be no church, you know. And and yet the people rose up and they were able to build this through the courage, in large part, of Cardinal Wojtyła. So he went there when he was the pope, and they gave him this monstrance. The monstrance 
as a gift for his visit to Nova Huta, which he then gave to Mother Angelica. So if you ever watch the Litany of the Sacred Heart on EWTN, that's the monstrance that Pope John Paul gave to Mother. The loon is in the shape of a heart, actually. Oh, and wow. uh, Yeah, it's a beautiful monstrance. Wow. Where, where did Mother get the monstrance at uh, Hansville, that the veil mm-hmm. comes down? Where... She, yeah, she, that's a that is the most beautiful monstrance I've ever seen. But I love to, I love monstrance mm-hmm. anyway. Yeah, yeah. Well, she, um, uh, I went on on one of her trips where the shrine was being built, and it was in Madrid, Spain, where they have the artisans who did a lot of the statues, the reredos with the gold leaf, and. Uh, the monstrance, the tabernacle, those were made in Madrid, Spain. She wanted the largest one in the world. Well, it's actually the second largest after Toledo, Spain. They have a bigger one, I guess. But I think you're right. This is the most beautiful one. And uh, it's eight foot high, I think, altogether. And when you come into that shrine of the Blessed Sacrament, everything focuses your attention there. Mm-hmm. on our Lord's real presence in the Blessed Sacrament. So I like to say Pope John Paul II had a great love of the Blessed Sacrament. He would often be found even prostrate before the Blessed Sacrament. And his legacy, the last encyclical he wrote, was on the Eucharist. Mother Angelica, her legacy, the last thing she did was the building of the shrine dedicated to the Most Blessed Sacrament. Mm-hmm. So what a beautiful legacy they both uh, left us. Yeah. So why are we in such a crisis in the world of understanding the real presence, even even people who say they're Catholic? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think yes. that's part of what EWTN's mission is, because there's some interesting connections with Mother and St. Clair as well. How is St. Clair usually depicted? Holding a monstrance, right? Mm-hmm. And it was in 1958, February 14th, Pope Pius XII realized television was growing in use and it was having an influence, both good and bad. So he said, we need a heavenly patron for television. And he made St. Clair the patron of television. And then he goes on to explain why he did that. Because it was the last Christmas of St. Clair's life. She was too ill to go to the Midnight Mass. It was one of the times they could receive Holy Communion. They didn't receive that often in those days. And she was too ill to go. So the sisters go, and yet... St. Clair has this experience where she sees the child Jesus and she sees and is present at the singing and the Mass. And so because of that event, Pope Pius XII made her the patroness of television. And so a daughter of St. Clair, a poor Clair of perpetual adoration, Mother Angelica, has brought the Mass to so many homebound people prisoners, people that can't get to Mass, that they can take part 
partake in the Mass, make a spiritual communion uh, through the televising of EWTN. We need to take a short break right now, but don't change that dial. Stories of Mother Angelica with Father Joseph Mary Wolf will be right back. on Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture. Stories of Mother Angelica. Father Joseph Mary Wolf. Donetta Robin conducts the interview. You know, if we had gotten together back in 1981 and we said, you know, let's build a Catholic media group that will reach the whole world one day. I think we'd have all said, well, we have to have, number one, somebody in charge who knows television, has experience. Number two, they've got a large amount of money because TV is expensive. And number three, build it in a strong Catholic area. So what does God do? He chooses a nun who doesn't know how to even adjust the TV at all. She has $200, and she lives in an area of 2% Catholic. And he says, I choose her because she's weak, and it will be obvious that it's my providence that's going to make this thing work. <laughs> oh, yes. And he's done that even with with us building... Um little radio stations all over America. I mean, it's just, it's people who didn't know anything about Catholic radio at all that God has chosen to get these stations up and running and, and rebroadcast the EWTN network out here. It's just, I mean, when we go to the Catholic radio conferences, there's a lot of people there that had no idea what radio was about. And had we known, like you said, mm-hmm. For me myself, I would have never, I would have never yeah. started. But mm-hmm. um, I just thought, well, I'll just get past this one hurdle, next hurdle, yeah. <laughs> next hurdle, <laughs> and then before you know it, we now have five stations. So that's a, so yeah. awesome. So, um, so her legacy is continuing through all of us. So yeah, and I think she gave people courage to step out in faith that she showed us that God's providence really does provide. And if he inspires us and we go forward with faith, Mm -hmm. that he really will provide. And so he's given all of you uh, courageous radio people out there courage to go forward. And you've seen, you know what, Mother's right, that God really does provide when he inspires a work that he will provide for it. Where was Mother Angelica born? <laughs> Father Joseph? <laughs> Canton, Ohio. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Which was part of God's providence because there's a servant of God who was there at the same time Mother was growing up there, Rhoda Weiss. That's right. And it was because Rhoda Weiss, who actually suffered uh, things of the passion, she had the stigmata, and really I think Mother learned a lot about redemptive suffering and the value of suffering from Rhoda. 
but also mother as a teenager was healed of this incurable stomach problem that she had and that was when she experienced God's love and she decided she wanted to give the rest of her life to God. Wow. It's just so amazing how God works in our lives, you know, and she had a not-so-good childhood, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. and, um, and then come to the Lord. So um, we have about 20 more minutes. Are there, is there anything else you want to share story-wise? Sure. Um, there's so many stories. We keep hearing new ones. You know, oh, that that's People great. say, you know, Mother did this or Mother said that, and it affected us. You know, I really believe that we have angelic help, too, and a couple of stories I relate. So one time I had celebrated the televised Mass, and this woman wanted to talk to me. She's from Texas. She wanted to talk to me after the Mass. And she told me that she had just gone through a very painful divorce, and she was home just beside herself with grief, and she was weeping. And she said, all of a sudden, the television just turned on on its own. And there was Mother Angelica talking about her own growing up, her parents' divorce, the father leaving the family, and just the poor circumstances that they grew up in. And I like something that Bishop Reka, he had a Mass in Rome, actually, on Mother's 100th birthday. And he said, but Mother was never a victim But she saw herself as an instrument of God's providence. You know, so it wasn't that she just kind of bemoaned all the troubles of her growing up. But she could see that even in that, God was doing something. And uh, so Mother could have a compassion on others and their suffering because she had been there. You know, both she had physical pain, she had chronic pain in her back and other chronic asthma and other things, but then also the heartbreak of a broken family and and so many other things. Mm-hmm. So And yet she was always looking outside of herself to, to help others and, and to mm-hmm. encourage the sisters and other people with their walk and, and when you have chronic pain that's that's not easy. Your body wants to fight it all day long. It's exhausting. I just don't know how she did it all. (laughs) Yeah. There's one, you know, funny story I like to tell people usually like, and it's um, when the sisters were still down here at EWTN, where their monastery originally was, there was a a young father and his his son. I don't know. I guess he was probably about eight or nine. And he introduced him. He said, this is Ignatius. And he said, we came here years ago. My wife and I were childless. And so we asked Mother to pray. And so she prayed over us. And there was some connection with the Feast of St. Ignatius of Loyola. So they named him Ignatius when they discovered they had conceived a child and, and then he was born. He said, now we have five children, so we've come to ask them to stop praying. (laughs) <laughs> he, 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 of course, was he was joking, of course, and they're <laughs> delighted with their children. But Mother said, you know, that was one of the gifts they just seemed to have. And there's actually some of our employees, I know two of them, were childless. And through the prayers of Mother and the sisters, they uh, 
were able to conceive and have children. So. Oh, how great. <laughs> great that is. When I first got to EWTN, uh, I was given a tour of the network, and the sisters were working in the mail room, and they had two signs near the ceiling that were done in calligraphy by Sister Raphael, who was uh, Mother's close companion and vicar. And the one said, we don't know what we're doing, but we're getting good at it. <laughs> and then the other one said, unless you're willing to do the ridiculous, God will not do the miraculous. Mm -hmm. And I think it was just that simple faith that the sisters had that just delighted people, and they wanted to support them, and, and they believed in them. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Joe Bruno was a wonderful benefactor when Mother and the sisters moved here, and so they, they moved in 1962. And Joe owned a couple of grocery stores, and he was an Italian heritage. And uh, he said, you know, Mother, how are you going to feed your sisters? And she said, well, I really hadn't thought about it. He said, well, I've got grocery stores. In the first year, I will donate all the groceries you need the first year. Well, thank you, Joe. So the year goes by, and Mother's talking to Joe. She said, well, thank you for supporting us this past year. And he said, Mother, I can't afford not to give you groceries. As long as I have grocery stores, you're going to have free groceries. Because his business had boomed, and he had multiple grocery stores after that. And for over 25 years, the sisters would just walk in with their grocery carts, fill them up, go out to the car, and they wow. wouldn't even have to check out because Joe Bruno had uh, given them free groceries all of those years as long as he was alive. And, in fact, he donated the money for the first remote uh, production uh, van that we had, and it was called Gabriel. And it had Gabriel blowing his horn on the side of the, the semi-tractor trailer. <laughs> wow. Wow, how awesome. And, you know, she's going to a place where there's not a lot of Catholics. And then to find mm -hmm. one to be so generous, wow, that's great. Yeah, the Italian community is strong here. And, and so they've learned how to defend their faith and... They helped Mother even building the monastery. A number of Italian families were involved in uh, helping with the floor or the block or the the roof that one, Mother wanted to be made. And uh, she had this unique vision of how the chapel was to be built. And if you've seen it, it's a uh, unique construction on the, the, the ceiling and the roof. And uh, she just want it to be almost like praying hands, right, that are, uh, are the bottom of a ship, you could say, too. And so there were actually some local artisans that helped to bring that about. And we just recently reshingled it and redid the chapel. It's 60 years old, and it needed some updating, and, and it's mm -hmm. turned out beautifully. Yeah, so that little chapel, it only holds 72 people. It's a little portsiuncula. Mm -hmm. So if you know the story of St. Francis of Assisi, the heart of the early beginnings of the Franciscan order were this, this little chapel. It's a really tiny chapel in Assisi that had been abandoned and that uh, Francis, you know, repaired the Portsiuncula, the little portion, and it was named Our Lady of the Angels. 
So our chapel is named after that chapel. Mm. And you think about that little chapel, which was the birthplace of the Franciscan order, thousands of people who became Franciscans, men, women, lay people, and uh, just the impact the Franciscan movement had. And similarly, you think about this little chapel, Our Lady of the Angels, and how it brings the Mass and devotions and prayers and teaching all over the world Mm -hmm. and the blessings it's brought to the whole world. Yeah. And there's Mass there twice daily? So we have, yeah, typically we have Mass twice daily. Only the morning Mass is televised. We have a noon Mass for our employees, which is always packed. You know, the 7 a.m. Mass, well, um, not so many people always come there unless we have a bus group Mm -hmm. that early in the morning. But our noon Mass is always packed to overflowing because the employees are there and some locals come there. And then we have confessions every day, too. And that happens from 11 to 12, and then the noon Mass for the employees. Mm-hmm. But that Mass that we televise re-airs during the day, too. So some people tell us they watch it two or three times a day. And uh, so we try and strive to make it a beautiful Mass with a good teaching and beautiful music and and something that will edify people. Mm-hmm. You, were, you are... Um kind of like the spiritual director for all the employees, too. Am I correct? Or I'm or the chaplain for Russia. EWTN. And then Father John Paul, he is more of the um, direct contact with the employees, although I see them, too, and work with them, or we help them through different things they're going through and spiritual direction, confessions. So we have over 300 employees on this campus alone, and we have Mm -hmm. over 500 worldwide. So there's a lot going on. And recently um, I was asked by Peter, who's the head of uh, production, he said, well, our people over in Belgium, they don't really want, they don't really know Mother, and they wanted to talk to you just about Mother's spirituality because they're just kind of getting off the ground and they're getting ready for World Youth Day this summer. Could you, uh, you know, Skype with them? So we set up a meeting and they had, uh, I think there was six people over there, and they were just asking me questions about, well, how did Mother do things? And I talked a lot about dependence on divine providence and, You know, there's a teaching of mothers that's really helped me personally in my work at EWTN, and I thought it'd help them too. And it was the do-drop system. The do-drop system. So what is that? So the do-drop system is you do it and you drop it. You don't, uh, you know, mull over, oh, I could have done this better or said this better or, you know, and you kind of get discouraged because you made mistakes or, you know, You do it, you entrust it to God for him to bring good fruit out of it because he's not limited by our limitations, and then you drop it. And then you just go on, you know, to the next thing that uh, will help build up the mission that God's given you. Yeah, that that actually sounds like her, doesn't it? Yeah. So, um, did you... 
minister to Mother Angelica after her stroke, or was there somebody else? Yes, I was assigned actually up in Hansville at that time when Mother was declining. And um, so the last Holy Week of her life, on Good Friday, I visited her and I held uh, the crucifix that was in her room up to her lips. She kissed it the last time. And that was actually what was on her coffin, that very same crucifix. Mm And she was in a lot of pain on Good Friday. And then Easter, Holy Saturday, she was more calm. And then Easter Sunday, they said, well, she's not doing well. So I went over there again. The sisters were there, and they were praying at her bed. And we were with her most of the day. At 3 o'clock, we prayed the Divine Mercy Chaplet. And I think it was 4.53, so almost 5 p.m., that uh, on Easter Sunday, she uh, went to her reward, we believe. I, I believe so, too. Yeah. She had her little resurrection, I guess. <laughs> After and all one of her suffering. Care- mm-hmm. yeah. Her caregivers, who were just so devoted to her, some retired nurses and even active nurses and doctors, they, um, they brought up something I, I never really thought of, is that mother had her major stroke on Christmas Eve. Mm. So you think of the incarnation, the Mm -hmm. the infancy of Jesus. She's going through a lot of pain on Good Friday, and then she dies on Easter Sunday. So (laughs) it's like the Lord's life, if you will, um, during the last segment of, of Mother Angelica's life. Yeah. So... I take it then you were there for her funeral mass? and Yes, I was a homilist. And the, the theme that I brought out, I said, you know, you really can't understand Mother Angelica unless you understand the one that she loved with the passion of a bride. Mm-hmm. You know, that Mother loved Jesus because she'd experienced his love when she was healed as a teenager, and she defended him. She One of the reasons we're named the Eternal Word Television Network was because there was a film, The Word, which was calling into question the divinity of Christ, and so she names this network the Eternal Word to proclaim his divinity. Mm-hmm. And you think of the last temptation of Christ, you know, and she was outspoken about that, and and because you're speaking about her spouse, the beloved of her soul. And that's why she did all that she did, not for her own praise, but for his. Right. Is there anything you can tell us about her cause for sainthood? Is... Mm-hmm. So Sorry. Mike Warsaw has been working on that. He's spoken to our own bishop and the sisters and the friars, and he's uh, had meetings in Rome. So right now he's interviewing potential postulators. So those would be, that would be the person who would, you know, work on the cause and do all that's necessary to to move it forward. So he's presently interviewing potential postulators for the cause. But we're Mm -hmm. also collecting, if people say they've received favors, although you really can't... uh, 
speak about a favor until after the cause is opened, but we are keeping those when people say, well, we receive this favor or that favor through Mother's Intercession. Hmm. Very good. Well, Father Joseph, thank you so much. You've just brought Mother Angelica alive for all of us. So <laughs> good. Appreciate it. I um, appreciate you taking the time. I know you have a busy schedule, so thank you so much. And um, before you leave, um, will you give us maybe say a prayer and, a, and give us a blessing? Certainly. Father, we thank you for Catholic Radio, which reaches so many people and even unknown to us and has helped so many people to come to know you through your son, Jesus. And I ask your blessing upon Divine Mercy Radio and all of their stations affiliated with them and to bless all of their listeners and help us all, dear Lord, one day to be reunited in the joys of heaven. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture. If you're a business or service that can underwrite this Double-Edged Sword show, please know that your underwriting spot can run three times during the show, which runs five times a week on five stations. The cost for all five stations is only $250 per month. Interested? Call 785-621-4110. You're listening to the network of stations of Divine Mercy Radio. If today you hear his voice, harden not your heart. Mm-hmm.